The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and Tuity Fitness. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Blade Edition. We're talking Blade 2 today. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, that karate vampire himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to him, Tom. Well, like my daddy said before he killed my mom, you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. (laughs) When I saw when I saw Ron Perlman in this film, I thought to myself, he's had a funny old career. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because I think like when when he first arrived on the scene, Hollywood had him pegged as a sideshow, like a kind of circus. You know when he first character. arrived on the scene, right? Beauty and the Beast. No, come on, you. Oh, you. You just watched it. <laughs> I did. I wouldn't call that arriving on any scene ever. Um, <laughs> nobody knows about that but you, Michael. Even the existence of that movie. Nobody else is thinking ice pirates right now, just automatically. <laughs> yeah. And but then, like a couple of European directors, built on that idea of yeah. him as a circus freak, but crafted him into a leading man. Right. You know, like in, in City of Lost Children, he plays a, a strong man. Right, yes. But he's the lead of the movie. Hell, you know, Del Toro does Hellboy with him. Um, And then, you know, by the early 2000s, he's playing a real human in a, in TV, a TV series. show, right. <laughs> that is hugely successful. And I just thought it was fascinating here because there's so many layers to his character in the movie because that whole sort of vampire blood pack i think they call it yeah it reminds me so much of the marines from aliens yeah yeah but it also reminds me of the pirates from aliens alien resurrection (laughs) yes absolutely which he's also in miss ron perlman (laughs) (laughs) so there's like like many things in this movie you know, I, I give Del Toro grief for being more superficial than people thinks think he is. But referentially, there's a lot of layers here. Absolutely. In this movie. And that's the one thing that kind of impressed me um, as it went on. All right. There's, there's, um, we'll, we'll talk about that. I think, I think there are four distinct layers of this movie. Oh, okay. In terms of referential, in terms of intertextuality. All right. <laughs> well, of course, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get to that. We're talking Blade 2, a 2002 film. Heroes never mention that again. (laughs) (laughs) The audience will go on to hear none of that. (laughs) We'll get it. We'll end up on a tangent talking talking about bros. And I'll never get that. (laughs) Anyway, sorry to interrupt. You're fine. We're talking Blade 2, a 2002 film. Of course, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, you know him. Like the first one. Yeah. <laughs> According to Tom. 
According, according to someone who's never seen that and hadn't seen these two movies until a few days ago. Uh, but he's done Kronos and Mimic, Pan's Labyrinth, both Hellboy movies, Pacific Rim, The Shape of Water, and Nightmare Alley. What is Pacific Rim? That's the big robots battle big monsters movie. Oh, that movie completely passed me by. Lucky you. If, you. if you'd have asked me what that movie was, I would have said it's like a... Like a submarine movie. The best thing about that like, movie... Like, Crim's, like Crimson Tide. The, be, the best thing about that movie was it gave birth to a new How Dare You category for a couple of years. The uh, movie that sounds like a porno title... Uh, titles combined that sound like a porno title. Pacific Rim Jobs. <laughs> All right. Nice. <laughs> but this movie... You could do that... You blade to blade to blade trick. There you go. <laughs> this movie had uh this is the high watermark for the series by one percent, Tom. This movie has fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. I was really prepared to hear a higher percentage. Though. Were you? Where am I getting this from? Is it just Del Toro? Probably. I really, but like I, I mean, said, I, like I the thought... fans of this series are diehard fans of this series. But I really thought I'd be more in the minority, because I'm apathetic both about Del Toro and martial arts movies in general, mm-hmm. and I feel like my generation as a whole is, is not is not. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. <clears throat> that's, just, oh, that's very interesting because that's not wrong. Yeah. Like I would not say that's too high or too low. I think I, 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 I think I that I think just that's right. just right. And this is also the high watermark. Goldilocks. Monetarily, yeah. a budget of fifty-four million. Opening weekend thirty-two point five, eighty-two point three in the USA and in the world one hundred and fifty-five million dollars. So profit. Right. I would say a, a, a give me a bucket of popcorn yeah. and Reese's Pieces mixed in. Um, I, I would, I would gladly contribute that money. <laughs> Unfortunately, Netflix, Netflix got my share. There you go. <laughs> Certainly for this month. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. One of my first questions for you, for this particular series is, and of course, what you gotta talk a little bit about Blade Trinity as well. What is with this series and double cold opens? <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah. They love two cold opens in this series. Well, more more of a... Yeah, well, it's a sequel, so you got to have two cold opens. <laughs> That's Isn't that pretty much the first thing we mm-hmm. discovered about sequels? Yeah. You've got to have at least two cold opens if you're going to be calling yourself a sequel. <laughs> well, it also re- I know of the cold open impasse, but yeah, these series seem to say, "Hey, it's a sequel. We got to up the ante." Well, speaking of of, of stuff we always talk about, mm-hmm. um, I mean, precedent here might be the Bond films because they they also kind of have two cold opens. Seven minutes in, I know. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> talked about it for a while. <laughs> Um, but it's really fun. I mean, cause I, I, the, the way it starts in a blood bank, mm-hmm. I was like, it's, it's kind of starting with a joke almost. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like, so this vampire goes into a blood bank, you know, it's, that's, that's <laughs> right, kind of like, yes. that's our start. It's the starting point of a, like a not very good SNL yeah. sketch. 
And in fact, what it really reminded me of was, and this is where Del Toro actually makes you kind of reflect on whether it was intentional or not, because you think he's exactly the kind of guy who would know this. There was a night gallery segment with Cesar Romero, and it was like a two, three minute, I mean, portmanteau segment doesn't cover it. It was like a sketch, basically. Like an SNL sketch. And it was Dracula goes into a blood bank. (laughs) Cesar Romero's Dracula, which is wonderful. That's great. That's what it reminded. And I wondered whether that was a pull because he's the kind of guy who who loves that. Who loves that era of 60s, 70s, um, gothic. Uh, You know, he's a huge Hitchcockian and Night Gallery was definitely in that. That's interesting. um, but but I immediately it was like it was like this 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 is, this is just a gag to start the movie on almost, <laughs> and I kind of like that. Well, obviously, so um, we have a we have two cold opens. We have uh, you know we're gonna see the blood bank and we're gonna see the vampire the chin vampire who hates other vampires. Someone going into this movie who had not seen the original Blade, I thought everything was gonna look like it was World War Two. Uh, right, because everything in that blood looks bank, World War Two. Church, Churchill wall rooms. <clears throat> There's a guy in a Nazi uniform. There's a woman who looks like a land girl with right. a like with a haircut. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. So the style of this these these movies is nineteen like mid nineteen forties World War Two chic. Well, because all uh, of these movies have <laughs> this one probably the most really out of all it. three, but they all have kind of a noir bent too. True. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, they have a lot of different bands. True. And the, yes. The, the, and the, the big one that comes here for me is 1980s pop culture. Because <laughs> you've got Luke Goss from Bross uh, with Freddy Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a solid layer of 1980s retro that we're establishing here. This is one of my four layers of this movie. Okay. There you go. Is, is, is this is layer things- one? No, no, this is layer two. Layer one is reference out to everything that's going on in cinema at the time. And you've already spoken to this. The Matrix, Spider-Man, you mentioned the Bournes. But it's not doing it as well. The vampire craze, um, you know, these kind of borrowed uh, dance music of the time, all these kind of borrowed iconographies. Mm -hmm. That's the top layer. Your second layer is your 1980s retro um, your kind of Bross, Freddy Fingers. <laughs> uh, we've got Aliens and Terminator mixed, sprinkled in there. Right. An actor uh, called Danny John Jules, who's a British actor, plays Assad in this movie from a, a 1980s British sitcom called Red Dwarf, a science fiction famous. Is that the guy uh, you like? The, yeah, probably like a famous science fiction sitcom. Um. So, yeah, that's your second layer. That's All that's right. uh, and it's and it's right from the beginning. With you know, it's like who puts who puts Bross in a movie? <laughs> if you're not obsessed with that period in history, <laughs> you know. That's great. But he does. I mean, we get like we get a sequel and version right up when well. I, you know, I don't know for sure, but that bite doesn't look like a regular vampire bite. The way right. it splatters everywhere. No. So first of all, I'm thinking, hmm, 
Are these are this like acid reflux vampires? What's going yeah. on? Um, and then he says, "I hate vampires." So it's like, oh, oh we're changing, so we're changing the we're, monster, yeah, exactly. Or, or are we? <laughs> I mean, we are, but but it wants but you, by it design. Wants you to think they are right, yeah. but they're just double mon. You know, they're double. Yeah, vampires, they're just double monsters, say, which, right? We're um, and then the title sequence, you know. Recap montage. Recap montage, exactly. Dodge, yeah, that's my second another note. Another <laughs> inverse. So, uh, but all kind of, kind of dressed up as if it's like the opening of a black exploitation uh-huh. movie, or like even a Bond title sequence as well, with a with a voiceover, which I it's like, it's like, is this a TV show? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it feels like you know, Blade the series yeah. would begin in the same way with Blade saying, "I am Blade. This is what and I this do. is how I, I same this is how I take care of business." From yes. day to it's day, it's the same thing. It's the same thing every week. This is what you're gonna see: a little <laughs> bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's like they, yeah, this could easily be expanded into a series, and you could use the same title yeah. sequence. Um, so I did wonder whether that was like the influence of television, kind of. That's interesting. Hold. Um, but again, I was a little bit sniffy about this until i saw blade trinity and i was like oh i guess this is so did you stay sniffy about it like the whole time after you were done watching it did it only become better after watching trinity no i liked a lot of things about it but there were certain aspects of it that i thought were was somewhat kind of cheesy and contrived so let me ask you about this because i I was and then i saw how they were done in blade trinity and i thought well you know there's worse things (laughs) well that's one of my questions for you because we have you know we have this voiceover recap and then we have essentially this second cold open i do have to say that the next note i have to your point is I hope this swish zoom effect they keep using every few seconds calms down as it's already irritating me. So that's probably the answer to your question. Well, my question for you is because eventually we're going to see him start killing some vampires. Right. And my, my note, you know, we've had this note before where we say, we say something like, the good work they think they're doing with their CGI is not quite up to snuff in the way they think. It, and yet, and which I believe is yeah. true of these movies, and yet there's yes. still some style to it that almost makes it work. I have exactly the same note. Like the 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 it's like it's it's plainly CGI. Yeah, like right. You would never confuse it for practical. But it's tempered to have a slightly visceral quality mm-hmm. to it. And I think, and again, I'm reading this through Del Toro because how could you not? I I think he's. I think also the effects are crafted in a way that reminds me of stop motion. Yeah, a exactly. More. Especially with the and I think that's what and, I you know, end Ray up. Harry that's Housen's why I think I end yeah. up saying, okay, I like it. Is <laughs> because yeah. of the stop motion aspect. I think. Oh, I would say overall the balance of practical to CGI for this era of cinema is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there are moments when they make a specific choice to go practical and it really makes a difference. I'll tell you the things that I think that... Not to mention the fact that, you know, all the combat pretty much is practical and that's huge. But there is some CGI work in the combat 
Yeah, but you can see where that the is. The jumping around <laughs> it, stuff. It stands out. Oh, yeah, but that's that doesn't look good now. It's not going to look good in 2000. That's what I mean. And, and... <laughs> but that's not fine. I mean, I just mean the combat itself is is pr- is is everything you see is in camera. Yes. But uh, when it's digital flying, you know it's digital flying because it looks fucking ridiculous. Because it looks stupid. You know. It look I like Attack of the Clones ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know. Now, um, for the combat stuff itself, all the in-camera stuff. Like, see, I'm of two minds because there's part of me that mm. says, hey, a lot of this is really good. I mean, they're doing it. They're actually doing it. And they're doing it on that day. But then yeah. when I juxtapose it against the Bourne movies, I think, you know, Paul Greengrass, he took over that series and he's doing something that's so much better than this. Um. I think this is I think this is more derivative because you can't help thinking of of the Matrix and mm-hmm. you know they style themselves so much after that with the bursts of slow motion yeah and right the, and the time stoppage that's true and even you know just the look of leather trench coats and sure and shades you know and that well that's and what I meant though it was, feels like to me yeah they were the but Matrix and Bourne were the trendsetters, yeah. you know, because the Daniel Craig Bond films are basically Bourne films in disguise, or at least up. Because you have the point. Matrix in '99, and obviously this movie's drawing on that, but the sequels haven't oh. come out yet because they come yeah. out in 2003. Oh no! But it's—I mean, it's—I uh, couldn't, but couldn't quite believe how. I mean, it feels—it feels taken wholesale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but to me, it's it's still not even done as well as The Matrix was done a few years prior. There are one or two sequences. I, I'd not I like throughout the movie. There's some some of the action I'm nonplussed by, and then there's one or two sequences later on in the movie that just blow. Yeah, me right. And I have a feeling when it's, it's good, it's I, really good. Yeah, but no, it's not consistently stand out all the time mm-hmm. i i kind of i like the well, that's what i mean about but it looks accomplished like yeah it, it look this and this is what i mean about the comparison with blade trinity when you see fight sequences in blade trinity it's just a bunch of guys <laughs> yes. like coming at each yeah. other very clearly and this and i'm like but it's I, like I you, you can see a guy standing six feet away saying wait 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 he's taking it's, that guy yeah. out go yeah uh, and I, I like the fact that that was an attraction of the movie, uh, aside from CGI. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is just pure nostalgia because we don't we don't do that mm-hmm. anymore. Right. Except in the most dedicated fight films, we just we just don't we don't like delineate what's what's good because it's practical and right. what's good because someone you know pressed a button on a mouse and. <laughs> made a little man fly (laughs) you know um and then it's but the action is also like the pacing of it is interesting because it's relentless for like the first what like 10 minutes yeah but it's also 10 15 minutes it's like i mean it's just like i'm just watching like like you do with a martial arts movie is like it's like it's constant This, this feels like it's, it's everywhere. Stop, it doesn't it feel does. like it'll ever end. And I think the it's movie, like, to a certain extent, and like that scene in Old Boys, <laughs> it's just like oh, fucking hell. Well, so, so you know, I think it does itself a disservice sometimes for a movie that's what an hour, almost an hour and fifty minutes. Or no, it is. 
No, it's a two. It's, it is it's two hours. Yeah, it's like one fifty-eight. Two hours. Yeah. We 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 got away with under two hours, which is impressive when David Escoria is involved. True, but it's still too long. And so when you when you are when yeah, the first ten long. minutes of your movie is just jam packed with all this karate, and you have like a five minute karate scene that ends with "Wait, we're just here to deliver a message." I mean, you could have started with that. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. That is so. Tr- I had not even considered that. <laughs> No, this is a terrible misunderstanding. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't yeah, a fight right. sequence at that all. That fight sequence you've been watching for six straight minutes is completely unnecessary. <laughs> I, I, you're absolutely. You make a very compelling point, and I don't disagree. Uh, to to me, what what makes when this movie drags, it's more about the the inability to hand to handle suspense. Mm-hmm. Like I felt bored during the yeah. suspenseful moments of the movie because it's not I really think, that, that movie. That is like. Well, that is like you know, Del Toro kind of wants to be he, Hitchcock, right? He wants to do something else enough to be Hitchcock. But he'll he can do that later on a different movie. I don't, don't know why I said that like Gollum, but I did. <laughs> Carry on. Oh, that's great. Oh man. Uh, well, so you know, it's right around this time. So we we kind of learn. Well, the other thing that I noticed about that particular fight, though, was you really see Del Toro's kind of monster ideas. Because the the costumes that Mm. these two attacking vampires are wearing are straight out of Hellboy with that sort of mechanical uh, killer. They look exactly like that. So so you can see the beginning of his stylistic flourishes as early as this movie. And and you know the element of camp which accompanies his movies, mm-hmm. the biker with the feather the feather boa, sure, uh, who's kind of the was kind of a runner running gag for the movie, um, bizarrely, <laughs> uh, and well you know when when um, Blade, uh, you know parks the bike beside a Ducati and he gives it a little air kiss. <laughs> Just these little, little sort of touches, touches of... little flourishes. Right. And and again, like it you know, at the time I'm like, oh yeah, okay, fine, you know, a little bit of camp. No you know, it cuts through the dystopia nicely, whatever, but I'm not thinking too much of it. Then I see how comedy works in the next movie and I think it's Oh, this Chef's is where kiss. you need to pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you... <laughs> It's chef's the, kiss compared the to that. The air kiss became a chef's kiss. To that just movie. Like, oh yeah, that's all the comedy you need. You don't need anything else than yeah. that. Uh because it just comes in it just these little tiny moments um that just you know, ele- you just it's just kitsch for a moment and then it goes back to being a serious movie. Um and and you know, there's hundreds of those in the next movie and it becomes t- so tiresome oh. so quickly. I mean um, in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> right. And, you know, even just, like, sort of quirky ideas, like the blood coke. I don't know if that's in the first movie, but I, I did like the... It reminded me of Klingon blood wine. You know, you just take <laughs> you take a basic idea and you add blood to it right. to make it fantasy-like. Yeah. And that's, you know, they're snorting dried... I assume that's what that, it is. I, that's what I assume, too. Blood, right? but, but I didn't um, see... I don't think... I don't remember seeing that in the first movie. Okay. Well, the, the first, first movie many... I had a uh, the first movie starts off with a uh, like a blood rave 
So all these people are dancing around. All of a sudden, the the extinguishers just you know let out blood. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this is well, this is one of the first of many uh, references to the drug subtext that ceases to be a subtext after you've mentioned it about seven yeah, or eight times. Right. <laughs> and I like this one because it's visual and it's kind of a gag, yeah. but you know. They keep they can't stop speaking of Star Trek. They can't stop making the analogy. You know, it's like like a heroin addict, or he's just like a guy on crack. It's like guys, I like who doesn't understand that this is a metaphor for drugs at this point. <laughs> you can right? stop mentioning it. You can stop mentioning <laughs> drugs now. Yeah, I I keep calling them actually that I called them both the chin vampires, and then at some point. The viral vampires, I wrote down a few times. The viral vampires, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, in 2002, that would probably refer to an actual virus. Now you just think they were popular on TikTok. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good start. Why don't we uh, take a break? and then It's a, it's a great we'll, start. We'll yeah. come right back. All, All right, right after this. Talk about whistles. Yes, please. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here talking the Blade series. Today it's Blade 2... Directed an early movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. All right, let's talk Whistler, Tom. As a, I have I have questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had questions for you, but since you already have questions, no. All right, okay. What are your questions? My questions for me? were about your questions. <laughs> so okay. Well, I better so ask by all my means questions. Ask your questions. Oh, there'll be no questions. <laughs> so, please. Dear God, tell me he's in the first movie. He is. Okay, okay. And what was it made clear that he had died yes. in the first movie? So no one is expecting him to come back from the dead. Correct. So this is something of a retcon. Yeah. I mean, listen, 
If I was in the same position and it was a choice between not having Chris Christopherson, yeah, exactly, Chris I would want Chris Christopherson. I would bend over backwards yeah. to make that. Work. But I remember, like, upon <laughs> watching this film, I remember, you know, because I mean, it's in the second cold open that you're going to see Chris Christopherson. So I remember yeah. thinking, wait, what? Like, I guess I remember he's in this movie, but I also remember him dying. So what the fuck? Now, my I question mean, it, it for also, you it, is, does yeah. this movie seem to make it clear what happened? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I, I made the I made the note that it was a probably a retcon that they probably killed him off. And uh, the the you know the movie is bending over backwards to I mean to bring him breaking back to a life. back backwards. <laughs> um, and I I just you know commented that like basically that changes the first yeah. movie having still not seen <laughs> it, um, because that means the ending is a cliffhanger where it was once uh, a death. Mm -hmm. Like there was a moment of closure and they yeah. turned it into a cliffhanger retrospective. So all these, which I think is kind of cool. Do, do you know anything but... about the first movie? Do you know who the villain was or anything like that? Uh, Duran Duran. I don't know. <laughs> Steven Dorf. Oh, that's right. I thought he was going to be in this. Yeah. But it was Luke Goss from Bross, and I was very surprised. <laughs> so, what I remember is Stephen Dorff, and it's violent, like stomping on him. Mm. To the point where, you know, like American History X kind of style, you know? Oh, so okay, he's not... Yeah. Oh, I, he's I not, know. You did just say, yeah, say he's no not more. doing vampire shit. He's, he's, he's beating him to a pulp with, with his boot. Is that why... Chris Christopherson says, I feel like hammered shit. No, I think he feels like hammered shit because I think the retcon is that the vampires also attacked him. Back when Stephen Dorff... So the vampires to... also bit him and turned him into a vampire yeah. so that when he shoots right. himself in the head, it, it's like George Costanza in the shower. It doesn't take. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a... So what? So we have vampires, double vampires, and he's a uh, half vampires. Yeah, vampires, double vampires. And we have a uh, Chris Christopherson, uh, single vampire, suicide who vampire, who saves himself. Or no, it doesn't save himself. Blade saves him with the vampire-altering technology shot that I think they had in the first yeah. movie at some point. So we didn't even know in the first movie that he'd been bitten by vampires. Correct. Oh, that's a that's pretty yeah. major. <laughs> exactly. This is taking a more than a few liberties. Absolutely. Right here, isn't it? This is, uh, this is, um, this is uh, making Michael Myers and Laurie Strode's sister and right. brother kind of level retcon, isn't it? But apparently, uh, the bite wasn't enough to fix his his limp leg. So. <laughs> But they don't. They don't. They mention they that. Do, yeah. so they do. Yeah. He, yeah. They, so he still he still has to wear his his uh, Batman. I guess his knee brace doesn't work quite as well as Goyer's uh, Batman knee brace. <laughs> <laughs> as it, it makes him, it, it it removes any injury yeah. from his leg. <laughs> makes it bionic and able to kick stone. Anyway. Not that there should be any rubble. after seven years. Into anyway. rubble, I might add. Uh, yeah, I mean. The the other big confusion I had was that they were intro they introduced Norman Reedus's scud as if he'd been in. The that, that was my next question for you. Is sort of the 
until he started giving up his backstory unprompted, yeah. I was like, uh, probably, probably not. Means we haven't seen him before. Because <laughs> we'd know this, wouldn't we? We'd know we'd know this if he was in the first exactly. movie, and and that's all part of the con, isn't it? That's all part of the sense. It's like you make him seem like an old friend, and he's less suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you read into that? Uh, after well <laughs> the problem was and you know this is go this is skipping ahead yeah. a little bit but since we're talking about scud and him being the traitor spoiler um, alert everyone by that <laughs> by, this is a 2002 film, film by the way <laughs> Catch so um, no angry letters please <laughs> uh like by that point there was no one else the traitor yeah, could right. be like, there was like literally no one left for it to be so but in retrospect i was like oh well it creeps up on you because you think he's uh close to blade because they act like he's known blade for years years, and possibly been in the first movie if for some reason you haven't seen the first movie like (laughs) i hadn't um so but i mean i i like you thought it was thought whistler was still under the influence of the vampires Mm. Did you think that for the majority of the oh, movie? Oh no. Uh, oh no. Okay. Well, but when you first saw it, did you think that? Like, I assumed he was the inside man because he seems like someone they could still have influence over. Until Luke Goss whispered something in his ear, and I was like, "Well, it's got to be yeah. Scud then, because no one else <laughs> right. is left." Yeah, I don't remember ever thinking uh, that about Chris Christopherson. They like the twists. Yeah, it's you know they like their they like these little narrative. Well, and the other thing about this movie is you know there are there are plenty of times in this movie where you're asking yourself. I mean, I I, we're pretty much there, right? I mean, so but before we get to the rave, we have the meet the vampires scene. And we're about the blood the the yeah the blood pack, and we're about twenty five to thirty minutes in, so we're gonna finally learn what the fucking narrative is. Uh-huh. And we understand that these vampires want to destroy the other vampires, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and so we're going to work together. Regular vampires and Blade are going to work together to fuck up the double chin vampires. Okay, this is layer three. Okay. So, <laughs> layer three of my four-layer movie. <laughs> four-layer bean dip. Yeah, that's right. So we got we got contemporary cinema, we got nineteen eighties pop culture. Now we have classic mm-hmm. Hollywood, because this screams. Well, it's both actually. It's both second and third layer. It's the Marines and Aliens, as sure. already said. It's also the Dirty Dozen. Oh, because they're being sent out there. Yeah, to, I mean, <laughs> it's the Dirty Dozen in Aliens too. But you know, <laughs> it's um. So we're starting to see a little bit of kind of del toro oh we've already seen it when uh um in the rescue of whistler where wesley snipes picks up whistler looks at him and says let's go yeah. home like the ending of the searchers yeah. with john wayne and natalie wood <laughs> and i actually even though that's just that's that's just like one of those moments where you think yeah but what are you adding to the you know it's obvious an obvious restaurant what are you adding to it i guess you could argue uh, and I, like and an I was African just going to say, American an African-American man, man holding, and a, and a, and a, holding a, and a very old white man. <laughs> white man. Like, that's the twist, and I really liked it. But so there's a little bit of that classic Hollywood creeping into the to the fringe. And you have that here, at right? the end, too, you know, the sort of, 
you didn't give up on me. I'm not going to give up on you. Those kind of lines. Yeah. Um, and, and then something which I'm trying to trace the, the lineage of, and, and, and I think Kill Bill is a part of this too, the slow motion gang walking yeah, to cool right. music. <laughs> like, does this go back further than Reservoir Dogs? Who was the first to do this? Oh, that's a good question. Like this, Because this is in between Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill. Yeah. And those are the two movies I think of as cementing that. I mean, it. But it's. I mean, it's. It doesn't in even have to be. You know, it's in everything. It doesn't even have to be an action movie anymore. I saw it in that. Um, in like an. Uh, what's the name? An A.D. Bryant sitcom. I saw it. Like just girls going out in the town. I'm like, wow. This this convention yeah. has really started. It's really like everywhere now. It's a. It's it's. It's up virus. there with the slow motion explosion behind you with the slow walk. Exactly. But exactly. But I was like, oh, what, what what was the status of this in 2002? Would people think it was cool or would they think? Oh, they still think it's old? cool. Because, I mean, even 98 is Armageddon and you have them walking, slow walking to the fucking shuttle. Yes, but that's Armageddon. Nobody thinks that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the people watching the movie, not the people. Obviously, the people making the movie. Think <laughs> oh, cool. My mistake. My mistake. <laughs> Um, and I have some more questions. Can I? This is the question. Yes, second, please. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> so, what's what's the problem? <laughs> this is going to sound like such a big, such a naive question, but 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 well, All with right, me, okay? Because I really don't understand, and I think I won't until I see the first movie, and I'm not going to watch the Ever? first movie until we do these episodes. <laughs> no, I will, but not until we've done All these right. episodes. What's the problem with vampires again? Well, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> in general, or you mean Blade? Are they are basically are they a misunderstood subculture, or do they really pose a threat? No, they pose a threat. What's the threat that they pose? That they're gonna kill all of humanity. But aren't the isn't there enough humans who are handing themselves over to the vampires? Yeah, I don't know to make it kind of okay. You know the that basically the first movie kind of traded on this. You know there's sort of a council with the old vampires and Stephen Dorff is the whatever the hipster biker vampire who thinks all humans are just meat and wants to eat all of them, mm-hmm. and he doesn't like the old ways and wants to I don't know. Well, but we see that in this club, but the humans seem to be loving it. Well, I think there's like a woman. There's like a woman there is like, yeah, just come, come fucking eat me, and that's and so like the way that oh, and, I don't remember I don't that. I thought the whole like, club was all vampires. Well, there's one scene where they're like just eating a, a woman, and she's just like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that they're... Everyone looks yeah. like they're into it, and that's what really confused yeah. me. And I don't know if that's Del Toro going, let's look at this differently, or whether it's just me going like... No, I think I think he I was doing... I'm, I haven't seen the yeah, first Yeah, I film. think that was more of a... he's do, that, Well, that's the like other Chamber thing. Chamber of Secrets, Scott. That, that's the big thing about this movie, in particular of the three movies, you know, and, and it's funny because the next movie chooses to make an issue out of it and it almost made it worse but in this movie it's like there is nobody in the world but vampires almost that's you know true. what i mean yeah like that's what made them seem yeah. just like like part of humanity part of like just a subculture right you know they have their clubs they do their thing everyone's consenting it's okay that was the vibe mm-hmm. i got and it was a really weird because this movie is all about how we should kill every vampire we see. And I'm like, why? Yeah. 
Like, I have a note here. Why do we not like vampires? <laughs> Seems like a lifestyle choice. Yeah, right. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad I'm not entirely. So, yeah, I mean, here, that's the, you know. That's not one of the layers. Though. Okay, that doesn't fine, count as a layer. Fine. That's that's just confusion. So I that's, think in that particular can- scene, that's Principal Skinner's Principal Skinner's <laughs> cancelled due to confusion. <laughs> I I would say in the scene you're referencing, that is one particular person that really, whatever, just is up for the sucking. What can I say? Okay. Um, and of course, we know about the. F- <laughs> no, no, you said it all. Say no more. <laughs> and we know about the. F- She's up. For we know the about sucking. the familiars. Who, yes, well, I didn't, but I figured yeah, it out. Yeah, who just sort of give themselves over, because yeah. why not uh, work with them and not get eaten, I guess is the idea. But but these are really the only humans okay. that exist in this world, in this movie. It's just like every, you know. Well, that's but that's an inversion. I assume that's an inversion, right? It's not this. Yes. Because the, the, that it's like we, we got, we're sort of. We're starting from the viewpoint of the vampire. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the the first movie, the first movie you were going to see. Oh, I forget his name, but um, what's that actor's name that uh, you know was in the Wire? Who gets who gets the grenade in the car in the Wire? Not the Wire. Sorry, uh, the Shield. Walton Goggins. No, he Walton Goggins drops the grenade. Oh, Lem. Lem. I don't. Know I don't know the, the actor's actress. name. Lem. <laughs> But he is being led in by. Um... Oh, I'm looking forward to it. If Lem yeah, is in well, it. not for long, but oh. Uh, oh. he's being brought in by I think Tracy Lords, porn star, mm. okay. and <laughs> I I, I want to know what talent agency I know. <laughs> they were using. They were the fucking casting director <laughs> they were using. They ended up with porn stars and the and people from Bros. <laughs> And Stephen Dorff, <laughs> definitely someone who's not been in in like a who's not been in a record store or a, or a movie theater right. for twenty years. <laughs> so anyway, you know, yes, the first movie trades on some, you know, like the the female lead is is a human, and she stumbles mm. into this world, and she's a blood expert, kind of a thing, and. Yeah. But, but, you know, somewhere around at least halfway through that movie, I think we dip into, hey, we're just following the vampires now, you know? Okay. So okay. there's some of that in all of these movies. Well, in the next movie, they choose moments of not, but it makes it more problematic to me. But Yeah, I don't know who they're following in yeah. the next movie. No idea. Still don't have a clue. Um, this is about... So <laughs> I have a note here, speaking of The Simpsons. Yes. Uh... D- Donnie Yen's character in this movie is the the Simpsons archetype of the of the um, guy in the middle of a martial arts sequence who just stands yeah. there. So when so when he does something, you know it's going right. to be good. That's the role he plays, <laughs> and in slow motion. Uh, and we it did not disappoint <laughs> when he actually. I didn't realize that he went back as far as this. I you know when I saw him in Rogue One, I thought that was his introduction to. Western oh wow! Okay, but clearly not. Um, and he was responsible for all the fight. Yes, right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's him working with Snipes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I've got a note here about. Oh uh, yeah, so the the double vampires is where they sort to, with the makeup and the prosthetics, they start to make that shift to practical. Yes. That's actually That's really. Good. Yeah, like it. It's, it's it's really impressive, and then later on when they have the the autopsy scene, mm-hmm. it's all yeah. practical and it it just and makes, it looks amazing. Makes huge difference, and it even has it has enough like anus shaped right. organs. You know, in a way that would make David Cronenberg proud. And it has a narrative purpose, that scene, as well. Yeah. Blade's going to learn a little something. Yeah, no, I, I, I the, like, narrative propulsion is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty good. And this it, it, is it's pretty, pretty on point in this movie. But um, as I was referencing earlier, so we get to this rave. And we were talking about Whistler earlier, and so there's a lot of this kind of stuff in this in these movies where you think, you know, Scud is getting attacked, and you know Whistler's on the yeah. roof, and you think to yourself, well, where the fuck is Whistler during all of this? Right. Big, well, maybe he's and the maybe traitor. he's the that's traitor. Maybe, but then they then they sense. have a uh, well, I was simply over here, kind kind of, you yeah. know. And there's a lot of those in this in the in this movie where you. And that's a big set piece, this rave scene. I mean, it goes on for a while. But most well, of it I, is... I, I, this is... This is where I got bored. This is where I really just drift. Started so, okay. Drift. That was my question and for I started you. To th- I started to think about how interesting this would be if it were a Stanley Kubrick movie and how un- uninteresting it is as a, as a Guillermo del Toro Yeah, movie. and so for me, because most of it is... I think you were referencing, you were talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon earlier. Yeah. Oh, digital flying. And the digital yeah. flying. And in here, you know, when in, in Crouching Tiger, when you're watching people do it, it's it's purposefully done. And it's there are moments where... Well, they're on wires. They're, mostly, yeah, they're right? on wires and they're gliding, though. Here, you can see that they're on wires and you can see that they're slowly being let down to the floor. But the pace of the fight means it should be happening quicker. And it's yeah. not. And so it makes it frustrating. Yeah, it is yeah. frustrating. I agree. I just, I, and I also think it's just a problem we've not solved. We like we saw it in, uh, what was the last Terminator movie we did? Dark, Dark, Dark Fate. Fate. When they do some digital jumping. It's like, oh, yeah, shit. still sucks. Check it. Check in with you. Another like with 20 the CGI years, helicopters you know, and planes. Like, oh, so that yeah, still looks like, like shit. I'll, I'll check in with you in another twenty-five years. <laughs> see if it's improved. <laughs> Uh, clearly hasn't improved since Attack of the Clones, so <laughs> keep, keep at it. Um, and also in I'd that s- in that fight scene, yeah. there's some there's some poor editing that I don't see in. No, oh, interesting. In the rest of the movie, I can't remember specifically what it was, but I had a note that said some of this is like strange. I think maybe maybe yeah. part of it was because it was so extended. It's like. You're with Ron Perlman and everybody else in the main room, and then you go to Scud, but you go to Scud for so long. It's like seven minutes. Yeah. And then you go back to to Blade, and he's battling with Nomak, but that goes on for ten minutes. And then we come back to the main... You know, it's just, it feels a little disjointed. Well, well, it feels disjointed. I mean, it. I, I don't think it's that much different than you would get in an actual martial arts movie, because it's very presentational violence. Mm-hmm. There's like less less emphasis spent on uh, 
you know, that kind of using editing as storytelling. Yeah, right. They they want to just get the best possible theatrical presentation of a fight yeah. of a fight and the choreography. I think that's part of it. But you're not wrong that probably they're overextending right. themselves in lots of different areas. I want I have another question. Okay. This is the question segment. So is this stuff about Nazi about some of the vampires being uh like Aryan uh, master race theorists is that in the first movie because Ron Perlman and a couple of the other vampires talk about there are there's there's the the Irish vampire mm-hmm. you gotta have you an gotta Irish have vampire, an Irish vampire apparently. yeah <laughs> um to- well he's not he's Scottish actually Tony Curran but I think he's playing Irish in but I think he's the invisible um, man in uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all right well he's he's definitely a Scottish actor but I think he's playing Is he the one who's who uh we have one eye CGI? Yes. Yeah. So so they talk about pure bloods and they talk about um you know basic sort of master race stuff like some of these vamp you know and and obviously that applies to Blake. Yeah, I mean you get some of that. You get some of that from Steven Dorff. But it doesn't feel as overtly It's very overt. Yeah. And especially like, and again, no, I mean it is overt in that movie. It's, but it's not. Yeah, it is master race shit. It is. We're um, us, and they're them, and there are, you know, there are feedbacks like. But to the point where you're looking down racially on a, you know, on a southern hick, Mm -hmm. it made me go like, oh, I mean, these are like Nazier than than the Nazis from the American South. You know, they're like, they're like. (laughs) <laughs> pure Nazis, if you yeah, I guess the di- the difference and, and, in the and, first one is that, that argument, and they all have German names, uh-huh. and it's interesting because that's what the strains all about. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Formally, in the first officers. one, it's always more arguments with the council, old vampires. So it <laughs> it's like like the next generation. Yeah, exactly. You know, so <laughs> the council. Let's go to the council. So they tell us like, cut the council. I just want people to hurt each other. Um, for the movie, uh, I, I thought this. Uh, and then we have a mission prep sequence, yeah. which made me thought this may be two thousand two, but it has but the soul exactly. of an eighties <laughs> yeah. movie. And that's what I mean about these movies seem to pretend that they are the next generation of action movies, but they're not. They, yeah. they, they, yeah, they, they harken back to all thing. the the stuff we've already seen and known. Except that I prefer, like that's that's from a a tradition that I prefer. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like, now I'm grateful that they, that they have that kind of sin illiteracy and kind of ability to, to play. To, yeah. Right. To yeah. 80s and 90s cinema and, and even further back. And that I, is I the other thing is that like, it goes further back. And so it, yeah, the search, yeah, you, you can see choices being suggest- made by Del Toro himself yeah. because he's a fan Definitely. of cinema. Well, I think he goes. He's not just a fan of cinema because I'm going to get to my fourth layer <laughs> now. With three out of four of these right. layers, and the fourth layer is just classic fiction and mythology. Mm-hmm. Outside of cinema, you've got your right. Tempest, yeah, okay. You've got your, you've got the Bible. <laughs> you've got Frankenstein. You've got Dracula. Um, and he's pulling from all of that. I mean, the the, the yeah, building, you're right. He's drawing on it. 
the headquarters of the vampire is called Caliban yeah. Industries. <laughs> and when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, there's like an equivalent of Prospero. Right, exactly. Miranda. There's a Caliban type character in here. Uh, it becomes a very, again, like Superman Returns, becomes a very Christian movie in the second mm-hmm. half. For some reason, we like to do it in the two thousand early two thousands. We like to make it very Christian for a while. There's lots of Christian allegory stuff, and then you know Luke Goss's story turns out to be Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. Very. But they're also working with a base of va- vampirism. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I I appreciate those those levels. Yeah. In what is such a kind of simple movie, but I totally get what you're saying about that—that that it does have this sheen of being newer than it yeah. is, and that may, and that that is also that's a little that is definitely a, a con, right? But but I'm grateful. I'm speaking that stylistically, not... but but yeah. in your in the subtext thing, you're right. It's it's. But that doesn't. But that doesn't mean you know. It's still it's still a, you know old wine in sure. new bottles. Coming out of the gate, saying we're we're a dynamic. This is what I mean about the four layers. The you know the top layer is that we're all about what's going on in cinema mm-hmm. at the time, but <laughs> the story they're telling is, is like goes is, back to yeah, the oldest yeah. myths of, of of history and prehistory. Um, all right, well let's take another break. Yeah, got got out my questions. Got yeah, my four we got layers. the we got the questions, we got the layers, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up. All right, right after this, everyone. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tuity Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We are back once again, everyone. Tom and I are here. We're going to finish up with Blade 2, the 2002 film directed by Guillermo del Toro. All right. So, I mean, you referenced it earlier, but after this huge rave scene and everything we kind of just talked about, this is when we get the autopsy scene, Mm -hmm. which I think is, like you said, I think it's a, a practical effect kind of gangbuster of a scene. I it, yeah. it looks great. Great body great body. Great body. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> that's my exact note. Effective body horror. There you go. Well, let's sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's just self-evident. Yeah. I also have a note here that says all shit with Ron Perlman is good. Yeah. 
because he's Ron Perlman. I, I don't think I have anything left to say about Ron Perlman, sadly. <laughs> I think I took care of that at the top of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, so... You know, the, well, go ahead. You go had on, a thought. On. No, well, I was going to say, like, my notes seem to suggest that, that, that I'm both impressed and disappointed by the screenplay simultaneously oh my god i can't that's my note that's the next thing i was going to talk about oh what's your example well my example is this chat with nissa oh we might have the same exact really carry on well so carry on you know they bring up this idea about you know she drinks blood she knows that at some point he drank blood and that they're far more alike than they are different. And of course, <laughs> this plays out later in how he chooses to save her life. But I wish this relationship was explored more. And I wish right. this avenue, I wish we got more hay out of this avenue. Because st- like for a, for a story point, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I think the movie can't see the value that it had through the forest of all the fights and all the other shit. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Uh, my note wasn't quite that, but it's related. So I, I was kind of, I was impressed by the gradual cooling and opening up of the emotional dynamics of the film uh-huh. over time with Blade and Nyssa and, and Scud and even Scud and Whistler. Yeah. The fact that they start to relate to each other just as they find out he got that great line from Chris Thompson. I was just starting to like yeah. him. <laughs> and he re- and what's great about it is not an ironic line. He really he meant means it. it. <laughs> um But at the same time, like straight after that, we, we have a, a scene that is only in the screenplay to show us what's gonna happen later in the movie, but makes no narrative sense. When the vampire is being chased by a double vampire and they go out onto the surface and get burned in the sunlight. Yeah. Why would either of them do yeah, that? Right. <laughs> and it's only to show us what's going to happen later in the movie. Well, I have to say that I'll give the movie this credit. It seemed like the the single vampire, the non-viral vampire, <laughs> had made the choice to sacrifice herself. Okay. I didn't pick up. I just thought like... so. I just thought it was the movie teasing us for a later moment, but I it is. Know. It's doing that too. Um, but yeah, I have I to admit from... that you know, it does take you by surprise. Your first thought is, "What the fuck did you do that for?" Right. But there was this idea, to me, doesn't it uh, create a problem though? Doesn't it make it worse for the people down below? Yeah, it brings out the other double vampires, I believe. Hmm. I don't know. Well, they also keep, you know, Ron Perlman walks through it. He puts his hand out. Right. You know. And he's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> that stings. Um, also, you're going to love. What am I You're going to love this. What am I going to love? Matt Schultz, who plays Chupa. Uh huh. You know, the guy who ends up. Uh, I said, uh-huh, I don't know who you <laughs> He's the guy who attacks Chris Christopherson. Oh, the the Nazi guy. Yeah, the, the blonde so guy. The, you yeah, know, yeah, he yeah. and Perlman start fucking... What? Why is he called Chupa? I don't know. The guy's a fucking... 
his like blonde hair, blue eyes. But that actor be called that Gun Gunter. That actor's in the first movie playing a completely different character. Oh God! Why do these movies do this <laughs> to know. us? How great is he Chris that? Chris Farley did it. He Chris Farley. Yeah. Did it. Um. I I I, <laughs> I lied when I said I didn't have any more questions. <laughs> Okay, fine. I feel like this is one I feel like I know the answer to. Do UV lights appear as a plot point in the first movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, if I recall, it was... Because um, we talk about UV light a lot. a lot. And not just in this movie, the next movie. Yeah. And I was like... like are you try? Is it? Are you trying to rebrand sunlight? <laughs> like, what? What are you trying to do here? Is this like the big UV came? Yeah, because I every, instead of saying sunlight, always say UV mm-hmm. light. Okay. <laughs> if I remember, it was like new technology. Like there was a big chunky light, like you know, like a spotlight kind of thing, and they burn a yeah. big fat vampire with it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta really roast that. Get that vampire flesh nice and crispy. With UV's the only thing that does it. But uh, but I thought that like is isn't this just part of this twenty first century early twenty first century UV light obsession in cinema, writ large. You know everything we talked about with the Batman movies. Right, yeah. This kind of day glow shit. Is it? Is that? Is that what this is? I don't. I don't know. But if it's in this the first feels movie, different, I'll give, but I'll give it. I'll give it a pass. Yeah. If we have the, you know, the 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 fat vampire on the spit. There you go. Roasting. That's fine. <laughs> um. So we have, and we we do something that we see in lots of sequels where we invert the inversion. <laughs> so turns out the vampires were the bad guys all along. Right. And the double vampires are it was just a kind double of misunderstood. Cross. Yeah, they're just sort of, and then the and then the double vampires become the allies that the vampires once were. Kind of temporarily, yeah. but we, I mean, you know, it, this is this is, I mean, yes, it's another kind of narrative twist, but you, you see it coming a mile off. Sure, because Blade is Blade is like, uh, yeah, that, as soon as as soon as we're as done, soon as we're done, they're gonna fuck they're us. gonna fucking kill us. <laughs> yeah. So I do like that they have that in. So, uh, I mean. It's easier to believe that because of how they feel about each other than the moment that yeah. Blade reveals. But this that is where it really does scuttle. become Frankenstein because the monster you yeah. created is the monster you can't control. Yeah. Um, and it accepts it's scuttles. literally your son, not the son you created. Yeah. Right, which is the Christian part. Yeah. And the other Christian part is is uh, kind of crucifying Blade. Yeah. Um, so, and we get for a while, and again, like it's all, well, I don't know why Christian allegory stuff is all concentrated. <laughs> gadget stakes though. Gadget stakes. Yeah, gadget stakes. For the, for the next like five, 10 minutes of the movie, it's just like Gothic horror versions of Christian rituals. Mm-hmm. Cause then we get him re reborn in a bath of blood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the reverse baptized, baptism. Yeah. <laughs> the reverse baptism. And so it's like. You're just like, why is this all concentrated in the same part of the movie instead of like spread? Well, and it's, I mean, it's, you know, to to bring another series in, it's coming fast and furious, isn't it? Yeah. Just like one after um, another, just don't, 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 don't. 
<laughs> but but this is I think this is where like the best fight stuff of the movie yeah. happens as well. These are like the show stuff. Except for Ron sequences. Perlman, that's kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, maybe it is like a like a Danny but a Trejo, pretty good like, effect. I mean, it was kind of fun just to see his body split in half. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, you know, like if you didn't know how else Guillermo del Toro used him. You would say he was underused, mm-hmm. but if you know that Hellboy is, you know, he's going to do Hellboy with him, then you're like, okay, fair enough. It's yeah. like Danny Trejo with Robert Rodriguez. I, you will be some, just, yeah. just do this one thing in the movie, and then and I, I got you. I'll build a whole franchise around you, <laughs> um, and that's exactly the same here. Yeah. So it's just like Ron Perlman is just an added bonus. And pleasure. Scud blowing up is a pretty fun effect as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, I did, I mean, we we the shades are obviously the Matrix, but is it also a little bit of the Terminator? I noticed that the score got kind of synthy when he put when he put the shades back on. I I don't get Terminator I thought, vibes. I thought Bad to the Bone was about to come. I in. don't get Terminator vibes, and okay. I always assume. I could have sworn I, I, I could have sworn it went a bit Brad Fiedel and. <laughs> When he put those shades on. Maybe that's just me. But I think of the Matrix too, but I also kind of always assumed that this was part of the comic book. So it was his, it it was, I kind of took it as its own thing anyway. Also, maybe they were saying Terminator took it from us. Yeah, maybe. And speaking of which, did Blade invent the Black Widow landing? (laughs) I know, right? I mean, they're both Marvel properties. Because I, I, he's got a. And you, are you telling me Joss Whedon's not a fan of Blade? Right. Like I don't believe I, you. If there's you say a, no. there's a, like a big ass Black Widow landing in the first movie, on the stone. Oh, okay. All right. Like, yeah. Um, and but that I, glasses because... throw from Whistler is hilarious. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, the way the just I mean, in the last Black Widow movie. Well, Black Widow. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> they make such a big thing about that landing. Yeah, that's why it was on my mind. But that's you're introduced uh, to her like that in Iron Man too, right? So maybe they're gonna retcon it that she took it from Blade. <laughs> maybe. Except it won't be Wesley Snipes' Blade, mm-hmm. so it won't make any sense. By the way, I'm horrified that they're that they they're recasting. Wesley Snipes. I'm really outraged. Um, <laughs> I think you made that he's still clear alive. already. He's still alive. He looks pretty much like he did there. <laughs> 20 years. 20 years and some of that time in jail apparently has not aged him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all I all I have from this point onwards, I have the, the reverse searches moment. We have an inversion of their... Mm-hmm. Of their <laughs> we have a second searches reference and it's an inversion of the first one <laughs> with the half-breed... <laughs> And it's also a searcher's inversion because it's the half breed carrying the pure blood out to die. Right. Uh, not that, not that um, Natalie Wood is mixed race, but in the course of that movie, she kind of is. <laughs> at least in John, at least in John Wayne's racist eyes, she's mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, and Whistler's standing there going, "Hey, that's what he did to me earlier in right, the movie." Right. Exactly. <laughs> But it also um, harkens back to my point before to me, you know, because it's it's supposed to be the the you know the the sad moment in which 
You almost it almost feels like they're lovers, but they never got there. Right, it's really involved. They 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 really get involved with her and her father. Yeah. But it's that I mean that's a that kind of. But again, to your point, all of that is coming that at such story. a rapid pace. Yeah. The son comes back. The daughter betrays the father. The father dies. Yeah. Was but it's, was the brother I mean, gonna it's eat the good daughter? Stuff. Sorry. Was the brother gonna eat the daughter or the sister rather, and then Blade comes in or? Uh, I can't remember that. I don't uh, remember. Probably, I think that I think that's pretty much it. Um, but I kind of like that. But I agree with you. It's like it's it's less. I think one of one of maybe the disadvantages of of, of bringing in a director like Del Toro is he's got his own agenda. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch The Strain, it's kind of all that stuff that goes on at Caliban Industries. That's the really? that's all of it. So I do wonder whether he's just like, no, I'm more interested in this yeah, right. than than my main character yeah. kind of thing going on, which we've seen in sequels too. Sure. Um. And next note I have is about the the movie's weird button. Like the weird the final the... scene of the movie. Yeah. So we're suddenly in London, right? And I'm going. Uh, is this the same film? <laughs> Did I accidentally switch my Netflix over to Last Night in Soho? What's what's going on? Did it? Did it? Uh, did it uh, not? Did it not go through all the credits and it just immediately went to another movie? Yeah, exactly. I was just like, I was like, oh, okay, we're okay, we're we're resetting you know like we're geographically relocating. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the movie's nearly over. This see, this is weird. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's, it's to sort of follow up on something that is only a runner because you've decided to make the end of the movie about, yeah, right. you know what I mean? Which is like, so we've seen, so basically, I mean, sadly, cause we also, we didn't talk movie. about this guy for the entire, he gets away. Yeah. He gets away at the beginning yeah. of the movie. And then, um, when Wesley Snipes is standing in the, in the vampire club, looking like a bouncer, um, he says, catch you later. Right. So, you know, it's like, I guess when you look back, you go, oh, beginning, middle and end. It's like it's a it's like a, you know, it's like a way of tracking yeah. a movie. But I don't know. You've got to really care about loose ends to find this effective. Right. Is there anyone in the theater going like punching the air? Like, <laughs> yeah, got him. So glad he got yeah, that guy. Exactly. All those other people he killed meant nothing. Well, it just feels like one of those things that... You know what's sad, actually, is it feels like something it well, it makes sense, though, because I was going to say it feels like something you'd see in a David S. Goyer movie. Oh, but this is a fucking David S. Goyer written movie. So, of course, it's there. I mean, I and again, this is in retrospect, I came to appreciate this ending Uh because the ending of the next movie is just so horrible. Right. And so. I I mean I'm I'm sort I'm kind of into it, but I also sort of think I just it's the switch to London that just sort of got you fucks with me. Like <laughs> I was like that's a big that's a big relocation, and I think he's even using like stock footage from like 1970s documentaries about pawn clubs or something. <laughs> like it, it's like. It's like it's really 1960s London yeah. suddenly. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like I said, it's like Last Night in Soho. It's exactly the same iconography. Yeah, it is. We haven't, you know, we haven't 
we've never been here. We'll never go back. No. We'll never return to this. Um, but, yeah, it just it felt like someone who just can't leave a loose end hanging. <laughs> that was it. That that was what it was. I mean, and that's yeah, that really fun. is all it is. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's the movie's runner. So, but it's not the runner until they do this. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they made it a runner. Like it's an artificial runner. It's not. But if it wasn't monster. there, wouldn't you be saying? I mean, we saw no. that fucking guy twice. No. no. Well, your ruler three, I guess. Maybe right. some people would. But, you know, he says, you thought I forgot about you, didn't you? I thought, well, I, I had. had. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what makes Blade the best. <laughs> so I'm on to my credit check if you don't have any, anything else. You I, wanna... you know, yeah, I pretty much have everything. I mean, this is, uh, you know, all in all, like you said, you know, a- add your choice of candy to your popcorn you're going to have a good time. No, specifically Reese's Pieces. That's the only candy that will work with this movie. <laughs> I know people I who like I... the milk duds with popcorn. I'm on your side. Reese's too Pieces. Too chewy. Too chewy. You don't need you don't want that kind of extra jaw work. <laughs> popcorn Reese's Pieces. <laughs> M&M's too. Some mouth. people go M&M's. M&M's I can see. Re- milk duds? Nah. I know of one. I can, I can remember. I'm pretty sure I know one. I've person. always wanted to do that Simpsons thing where you put the butter in the milk duds. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> that sounds truly um, terrible. Uh, credit check me. Okay. I feel I feel like we've covered a lot of this. Um, David Escort here. Well. In, in, in retrospect, we're lucky we got out here in, in under two hours with restrained emotion from most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's the Del Toro effect. I don't think of him as a melodrama guy. <laughs> um, no crying in <laughs> Del Toro movies. <laughs> um, and then when I saw, it was only when I saw Stan Lee's name that I realized this was a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's no other evidence. Like when you think about what that's come well, to it, mean, well, and in it doesn't present itself with out. all the no. other Marvel movie rules. You don't see Stan Winston in these movies, that kind of thing. Stanley, Stanley. what did I say? Stan Winston. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that would be fucking awesome if we saw. Sorry, Stanley. This guy, you, can you just imagine like someone just tears their face off and it's Stan Winston inside, like the Terminator? That's fucking awesome. You kidding me? That's, that's the great. cameo we were denied. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, it's 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 almost like, even without, <laughs> even without knowing it, Del Toro was kind of detoxifying. Yeah, right. This the Marvel out of this movie. Um, we talked about fight choreography, actors, the actors doing their own. Mm-hmm. How good it is. Uh, this may be the last time that like a a, a score that uses contemporary pop music. Is still tolerable to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> We've got like Dan the Automator, Paul Oakenfold, Groove Armada, some of the best dance and hip hop artists of the time are attached to this movie. And my favorite track of the favorite mu- piece of music in the whole movie is the Gangster Queens, which is like the second half of the credits by Groove Armada. It is amazing. All right. I don't know why they put it at the bottom of the credits, but I'm glad they did because. 
you know, I got I got to do I, I got to do something from with lo- the... looking for funny names. Um, <laughs> uh, con- there are some contact lens specialists. That's that's for with this that's movie. for Snipes himself. Yeah, um, it's not what I think of when I think of optical effects, but there it is. <laughs> How dare you! Uh, that was pretty bad. <laughs> no real Reapers were hurt in the making of this film. I saw that myself. Yeah, yeah a nice little Naked Gun-esque uh, mm-hmm. addition to the closing credits. And that's that's uh, that's my credit check. All right. Well, we did it. We certainly did. You know, it's funny, like, looking back on us talking about it, it's, you know, because it's just one of those movies. It's... Uh... We're not we're not gushing and glowing over it, but yeah, you know, we're not shitting all over it either, and so that kind of lends to itself to. I don't know. It's interesting because I think this movie is thought of as the best in the series, and the people who love it really love it. But yeah. to me, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's one of those movies that steps on both sides of the line of good bad. There's a lot to like in this movie, but but it's 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 not a great movie. It's a good movie. No, it's it yeah it, it's it's yeah. It, it, <laughs> I'm sure it did win some awards, but it's not you know it's the kind of movie you say is not going to win any no, awards. No, yeah, that's the thing. This whole, whole series, considering you know maybe makeup or whatever, th- there are no Academy Award nominations for these movies. If it's nominated, I feel like there would be now. If it's nominated, it would be for things like Saturn Awards, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, you know, there's there's value, but there's value in this. I think yeah. there's value in in a in a perfectly perfectly acceptable movie. but you know, especially it's less disappointing when it's a piece of pure entertainment like yeah. this. You're less you you want to poke fewer holes in it um, than you do with a movie that is you know considered great but is actually mediocre. Yeah, exactly. Like off the top of my head, the English Patient. But, you know, I, don't, <laughs> I could name many more. Finally, you and I can agree on something. Yeah. Anyone still talk about that movie? I'm Elaine Benes. Except for when that... Uh, uh, I know, I was going to say, the only time anyone talks about that movie is when it was on Seinfeld yeah. in syndication. But when that episode was on Seinfeld in syndication and someone the next day goes, hey, you remember, do you remember the English patient? I just saw that Seinfeld last yeah. night. No one's talking about the fucking movie. Ever. I mean, it's it's Avatar level. Right. Cult, cultural Except we don't have vacuum. four more coming. We don't have four more uh, English patients. So sure. The English patients. <laughs> the English, the English patients, hitman's bodyguard. All right. Well, that's it. What do you think of Blade Two, everyone? You're gonna have to let us know. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Go ahead and go to Twitter. Let us know, or send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. We want to know what you think of uh, this early Guillermo del Toro movie. And if you uh, let us know, we'll read it out on air. All right. That's it. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Coming up next time, Blade Trinity. Say goodbye, Tom.
Better get you some sunscreen, Buttercup. <laughs> Bear in mind, it's a white man saying that. Right. To another white man. <laughs> no more or less pale than him. <laughs> That's great. All right. We'll be back. As always. Not easy, something.